Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. The word of God. And he said, this is the word of the Lord. And two people clapped twice. One person clapped once. to learn to appreciate God when God is at work. Many, many years ago, some of you were like that, invited out to preach on the day it was children's anniversary. And it was the beginning of a journey of serving God. Only you didn't know it. There was always one thing you did first. Maybe it was um, maybe it was a choir night, and they said, "Oh, there's this dance, and they want the young girls to dance this dance because, all due respect to the aunties, um, there was a level of flexibility required that um, uh, the aunties could not um, do." And then you just danced on stage, and everyone said, "Well, the children danced on stage," but it was the beginning of a journey. And what I just saw was not just a man reading something from the book. It was a man speaking the word of God. You think sometimes that a man of God is a man with a big cap, sitting on a big chair in front of the church. But that's a man of God right there. Someone who stands in front of the people of God and declares the word of God and explains the mind of God. That's a man of God. And so, you know, honor when you see him today and pray for him that this will not be the end of his service that this will be the beginning of years and years of service Amen. in the presence of God. Amen. Those drums are one of the first things that brought me to actually know where God was. And the minute I got onto those drums, they were even taller than me then. I just kind of put my hands up and then, and I was hooked. You know, I didn't know what else God was going to do with me. But you could sell me for a penny with those drums. Just tell me that drum somewhere in another time, I'd go. But I, knew, but I didn't know that God was putting me in, into service. There's always something that pulls you in. But today's not about that. Today's about these young children. And um, I want to thank God, first of all, for everything. And um, for the children and for the benefits and for the privilege of parenthood. Uh, yesterday we were in a seminar and we talked a lot of things, talked about a lot of things. But today we want to see what the Word of God says um, about parents and about children and about how we should raise them. There is a lot of stuff that is being said and that sounds good when it is said. And when it is said, we all clap and it sounds profound and great and very nice and modern. And then we all feel happy that something is being said. But I want us to really look at what the Word of God says concerning parenthood. First of all, is that God established a family. So whatever anything else, whatever anybody says to you about anything else, the family unit was established by God. We start from there. Doesn't matter where you're coming from, the fact that you're a member of the family, it was determined and set up by God. The Bible says in Genesis that God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. And while he slept, he removed one of his ribs 
and then fashioned the woman that he already made and brought her to Adam. Adam woke up and looked and thought, ah, this is good. This is good. It's a bone of my bones. She shall be called a woman. I'm going to love this creation of God. Just, she's going to just be with me all through my life. And the Bible says they became one flesh. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his family and cling unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is why um, marriage is a very sacred institution created by God, not by the government or not by anybody else. Anybody tells you they want to redefine how marriage sits or tell you that marriage can be between two men, a man and a dog, a chicken and a fowl. Forget about that. Marriage was established by God. That is why I also get upset when I attend weddings and then they come and say, well, we wrote our own vows. You wrote what? And then they come and say, when I saw you at Mushu Musha, I saw a flower. Uh, and they talk all kinds of rubbish. And then the man says, they are man and wife. What? We do all kinds of things to dumb down what has been created beautifully. So I have to my brother, if you if you if you have your husband to be engaged with another husband, tell him that no. And your father said it's the vows that the church has written under the auspices of God you will see. When you get into your house, tell yourself everything else. Build a house according to God's law. Where we get it wrong usually is from the very beginning, the very basis. We do things, we set up a family, and it's not set up the way it should be set up. And then we have problems with children. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We can build with any material we like, we can say anything we like. My favorite verse in the Bible for families and for homes is Proverbs 24. It's Proverbs 24, verse 3. Could someone read that, please? Proverbs 24, verse 3 to 5. By wisdom, a house is built. Yes. And by understanding, it is established. Mm -hmm. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Yeah. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Yes. Now, when you look at that, it says, by wisdom, a house is built. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all kinds of good things. When you look at that, it means that we have to learn how to build a house. We have to be wise. If we understand that wisdom is the application of knowledge that you understand, that means you have to learn how to build a house. You don't build a house by just growing up and becoming a certain age. You build a house by learning. And there's all, there's all kinds of godly wisdom about how you build a house. So my first charge to parents is learn how to build a house, how to build a home. It's not by knock. And you notice this. It doesn't even say anything about love or how you feel about your husband or wife. That's good to have. That's what brought us together in the first place. But you don't build your house successfully because you love each other. Sometimes you get like, yeah, yeah, well, I love him and I look at what he's doing. Yeah, that's fine. Love each other by all means. But if you want to build a house, you learn how. There's a way to build a house, a godly home. And I'll go through some of those verses in the Bible as to how we build a godly home. 
over and above the fact that we love each other to bits and we cannot take our eyes off each other and all of those things. People think that that's what's going to get them through. It's not. Or oh, I trust her and then that's, that's good as well. It's not what's going to build a house for you. Because that relationship between the two of you and it's not between you and your children as well. So you've got to have that dynamic set up properly as to how to learn the God way to build a house. I was listening one day to uh, Pastor Yogi Baptist who was preaching about something about building a godly home. Oh my God, that young man nailed it. And he said the only way to build a home is to build a home with God as your builder. He said you support God in building that house. If you build the house and then invite God as a spectator, he will look at you. But if you ask God to build the house and you join with God in building that house, then nothing can break the house. Bible continues to say, we're just reading there, unless the Lord builds a house, he builds labor in vain. But I want us to look at, at some things here in the Bible. Because we were talking yesterday about a lot of things. You know, people talk about, you know, children go to church, and it doesn't matter how bad they go to church, then they can still be bad and all those things. Young people look at each other and go, well, I'm young, I'm a youth, I've been misbehaved. It's not like my time to misbehave and all what's not. You know, I think um, in, in your Bible, you I mean, yes, sir, don't mind you. Who told you that? In which rule is it written that if you're young, then you must misbehave? There's no law about that. But we kind of accepted that it's okay, you know, children will be children, they will misbehave. Or I'm saying this today. And I'm saying this based on what the Bible says, is that as parents, we learn about God. Now, everybody says your primary responsibility as a parent is to teach your children. But there is no teacher who can teach without learning first. So step number one in building a godly home is for the parents themselves to be godly. If we have parents who appear godly, but are not really godly, and who attempt to build a godly home, they won't succeed. The first thing is to have godly parents. Luke chapter 1. I mentioned this in passing yesterday, but I was amazed at when, I, you know, when I really looked into Luke chapter 1 at how these guys were described. I'm talking about the parents of John the Baptist. If you look at Luke chapter 1 verse 6, Luke chapter 1 verse 6. And they were both righteous before God. Thank you. Just that. And they were both righteous before God. Both of them. To be righteous means to be on the right side. To have your heart aligned to the law of God. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God. This is before their son came to be. Now, they had been waiting and waiting for a child for a long time, but they never swayed away from being righteous before God. They were both righteous people. They walked in the presence of God. Look at verse 8 and verse 9 as well. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, mm -hmm. when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Thank you. He was serving as well in the presence of God. So it's one thing he was righteous. Because we have a lot of people who serve in church who are not righteous. So they come to church every day and they do all sorts of nice things. Everybody bows and then, you know, everybody sings holy, holy, holy. 
but that their hearts are far away. The Bible says, you know, with their mouth they confess me sometimes, but their hearts are far away from me. These guys were about Joseph. And while he was serving, according to the custom of his own unit, so like maybe he was a warding or maybe he was a member of the choir or, or you know, whatever he was, in this case he was one of the incense bearers. He was working conscientiously, he was working in the presence of God, and it was while he was there that he had that encounter. These guys have been seriously prepared for parenthood. Now, I want us to look at verse 41. We're just describing the parents of John the Baptist. Because every time we talk about John the Baptist, I'm just the forerunner of Jesus, and we talk about him eating wild honey and, and, and wild and all that stuff. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. One, you have to be righteous. Two, you have to serve God with all that you have. Even when it's not comfortable, you serve God. Three, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that this was filled with the Holy Spirit? When, when baby John, at six months, fetus John, came into contact with the person of God, something happened. Boom! He moved. And even his mom moved as well. We have parents who come to God is passing by. We just passed it that way. No, we don't even feel it. We don't know again. But you look at this woman. She came and met Mary, who couldn't have been more than a few weeks pregnant. But because the angel of the Lord had already instilled into Mary the person of God in the form of Jesus. Her son interacted, and she was also filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you tell me? Can you imagine you're growing a child in your womb? And you're constantly singing and praying, and you're constantly in the presence of God. Can you imagine what kind of child you will have? You see all these things that we're having all the, look, I, I give all respect to people who are trying to fix children's lives. But all these things where we have all these teenagers, all this uh, center for resurrection, for, for recovering teenage mentality, and teenagers gone crazy, gone wild, and there's someone who's uh, let's just go back to the beginning. The parents missed it a long time ago, and then suddenly the child is 14 and it's been ah, let's go and call one holy ghost pastor to pray on his head. You are wasting your time. You missed it a long time ago. Now, before the child is born, is the time to actually start to move that child into the presence of the Spirit. So your child will go. I cannot imagine what it is that my mom was doing when, when she was pregnant with me. But you know, even now, there are songs that I heard her sing when I was two, three, four years old that nobody else ever sings. Ever. I've not heard them in the last 20, 30 years. I still sing them. I sang one and he said, what? You remember that song? Even when they are born, you raise them in an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. My mom would always sing, here I am, send me. Emire Romi, Emire Romi, Boluwa Bangwa Uji here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. 
If the Lord needs somebody, here I am, send me. Can't forget. She ensured that everywhere she was and everything she did, the Holy Spirit was around. She was seeing in the morning, you just wake up in the morning, you'll be hearing from just across the, just the wall between. That's, that's what I grew up to. Some of us never heard that song before. That church is where they don't even sing it anymore. But those songs minister to my young mind. You see how Elizabeth was. Her child was having experience in all kinds of things right in the womb. But if you are carrying a child, or you are the father to a child, you don't, see, when fathers father think they don't carry a child, you know, you come home and your wife is pregnant, and you say, baby, how are you? And you touch her stomach. As a father, you are releasing you. You didn't just do, do your releasing of yourself when you were getting your wife pregnant. Each time you touch her, and you say, ah, how's my baby today? You're playing a part in that pregnancy. So if you're coming from the dead panel, having sworn and spoken all kinds of profanity and all what's not, you just pass that on to the child as well. You rub the baby's head. I'm going to tell you that you, with all the rubbish that's in your mind, you beat his head. When he comes down and doesn't pass, you say, ah, this, girl, this, this child is dumb. It's not dumb. You did that. As the child grows, verse 67, because we're talking about the mundane food. What about verse 67 say? Luke 167. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Oh my Lord. So the mother was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the father was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, that is how a good family is built. And they both followed God's will. Now, if you look at verse 80, you will see the result. Verse 80, 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The child grew and became what? And continued to become strong in what? In the spirit. Now, that child is strong in the spirit. That child is in the presence of God at all times. That child has been filled with the word of God. Then the child goes to school and there are things there, the child accesses the internet and there are bad things there, and, you know, and on TV there are bad things there, and there are all kinds of games and violent games. Everyone's talking about, oh, these violent games, they can warp the mind of a child, don't let them play these violent games, or, you know, the internet is full of all kinds of bad things. You build your children to terrorize doing bad things. At the moment, we are feeling terrorized by all of those things around us. And, oh, my God, we're struggling to think of our children because of all these bad things. When we were young, there was no internet. And so, I read yesterday. When we were young, there was no internet. But go back to before we were even born. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that the heart of man was continually evil. All man thought of was evil, and God was so upset that he made man. You think 
that all these things was brought, all this knife crime, everybody's having knife crime seminar, they think they're doing good. I laugh. I would do knife crime seminar, we have a knife sound. Oh, shut up. Oh, our world is so deadly now. Um, you are, some people say, yeah, you, you guys, you were born in 1972 or whatever, you don't know how it is, you know, you can't understand our world today because it's really so evil and it's so full of uh, images from the internet. Oh, no, no, forget it. Man has been evil a long time. A long time. What are you talking about? Cain looked at his brother. What did Abel do? I mean, come on, what did Abel actually do? Nothing. He just worshipped like Cain did. Just like God accepted his worship. As at the beginning of the Bible, he looked at his brother, his old brother, and he killed him. No, then he dropped the ground, dropped the ground, put him inside and covered him. Hey, Dad, how are you doing, Dad? Hey, <laughs> and I say, Dad, you think that 2018, 2017 was the beginning of all this stuff? Joseph's brothers looked at him. Hey, so it's only you that can wear nice clothes every year. Then they beat him up. their brother that the wild ox or wild goat ate. They cried with their father. For years they mourned the man that they killed. But you know, in killing him, killing him was taking him away. They told their father something else had killed him. They killed their brother because they took him away from their father. What kind of brother is that? So I want to encourage us with one thing. All the things you see in the world today, they didn't start today. Don't be terrorized by the things going around today. Be encouraged that you know the truth. Be encouraged that as parents, you have a responsibility to make things right the way God wants them to be. I... I must be honest, some of the things I heard yesterday were very depressing. I thought, but then I realized that for all of us who know what is wrong, it means God has given us the key to what is right. It's not just a happy story, you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, these two guys were good and John the Baptist was a good guy and everything like that. We live in a world where standards are now slipping as well. So people are telling everybody, you know, uh, marriage is just a piece of paper. Um, you know, uh, if, if you read to someone and say, um, wives, be subject to your husband, eh? be subject to your what? Are you a slave? Are you not equal? It's our job as well to make sure that people understand what these things mean. And the Bible says, wife, be subject to your husband in all things. It does not mean woman be subject to man. It just says, woman, take that amazing power and that equality that you have and willingly choose to allow him to lead. 
Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter, it says in chapter 1, it says male and female created them. When God made man, he made them the same and equal. That's a fact. The Bible does not say that God made man better than woman. It says God made man in his own image, male and female. He created them. That was even before he put them up to sleep. So before the woman was made publicly and taken and shown to Adam, she existed. She already was there. That's why women are women are not equal because of people are changing the to the to the gates and say that uh, women suffer just no 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 that's not why women are equal. They're not equal because somebody is a feminine. Mm-hmm. That people want to believe that they're the ones who made, who made it so. The Bible says that God made man and woman at the same time. But he also says in the Bible that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of every woman. That is a design of a family unit as God wants it to be. So he says to the woman, take your amazing power and the whole equality that you have and choose one person, one man, and let that man lead. And then together, you now have both powers working in the same direction. You don't have a division of focus. You don't have a division of ideas. You have all of your ideas plowed in the same direction. You're so powerful, no one can get between you. Because you're a family doing things the right way. And when you do have children, you teach them, but you only teach them from what you know. I'm going to finish on two verses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at that very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse... Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Mm -hmm. that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Thank you. You and your son, and your son is your son. What you learn about God, you teach to your son. He teaches to his sons or his daughters, and it goes on and on that way. When, when we attend the conferences, we've got to be careful. People say, ah, what we had in the past was old hats. We learned a new thing, and this new thing is what's going to help you because the way your father brought you up is, is wrong. Be careful. There are laws that God has put in place that will not change, no matter what we say we have become. We are the ones dancing around. God has not moved from where he is. Because he's everywhere. So he cannot actually move from anywhere. You thought about that. God can't go anywhere because he's everywhere. How can he go? To go somewhere else means that you were not there in the first place. God is already everywhere. He's not going anywhere. He's not moving. He's not changing. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever, what the Bible says. You and your son and your grandson. Now, if you look at verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. That means you will live those words. They will not just be on your lips or in your head. They will be written on your heart. It is from your heart 
that you will now in verse 7 teach them diligently to your sons, your children. Dili not once in a while, diligently. Which means every moment of your life will be a teaching moment. You will teach your children, not just by telling them, but by doing. So you will wake, I told her about my mom waking up in the morning, 4 a.m. she starts to sing songs. Now, I can't stop singing those songs. She taught me, not just by telling me, by taking me to church. She lived that way. I was saying yesterday, before I knew that where it says in the Bible not to drink, I saw my dad. He never drank a drop. And so I already had a godly example to follow. Never drank. They say, ah, yeah, it's good to drink a little bit. I'm a social, what was the social drinker? You start to have all kinds of excuses for yourself. I'm only a social, I just drink once in a while. It's only one that I don't drink beer. Uh, I'm a wrong move. And all sorts of nonsense. But I had a godly example. Later in life, I found out that it was not good for me from the Bible, but I already saw God do it in a way, my father. It says you will teach them diligently, not just you know in the morning. It says when you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's how you do it. You saturate them with the word of God. Because the world is pumping information as well. All this bad news is coming left, right, and center. That's all coming in as well. But when you counter that with a powerful word of God, I tell you, it becomes difficult for that stuff to penetrate. You've, you've really enveloped them with the word of God. Even when they open their mouth, all they can do is speak the word of God. There's a prayer in their mouth every time. They know what, what, what to do. They have a headache, but they look for you. That was seven years old, got a headache. Except that seven just news that says, Lord, I have a headache. That person will not grow up and be looking for pastors to pray for them. See, people who have, who have no, no relationship with God, everything's so, uh, Pastor, I want, you see them, they will line up outside, they will around the block, say, Why? I want to come and see the man of God. Whereas God is there, that, on that line, the man of God is sitting down here. God is there at the back of the church, but they don't see him. They wait five hours for the man of God. To say that God, who has always been there, has healed them and they feel good. They never learned how to walk with God. Their parents didn't teach them. But they grew up to parasites on men of God, waiting for someone to tell them vision before they're okay. Traveling miles with a bottle of water. There's water in your house now. It's not the same water. Speak to that water. Tell that water what God said. Drink it and sleep. But these are the things we didn't teach our children. So when they go out, we are afraid that the world will get them. We are afraid that the things they see outside are going to nobble them. But as parents, this is what we need to do. Now, the other thing that is really important, let's finish up on Psalm 78. That's a good one to finish up on. Because I want to pull out a particular point that the Bible says. And something we need to take away with us. So Psalm 78. Yep. And verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter hidden sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children. 
but we will tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous work that he has done. We will not be afraid to tell our children about God. We will not think that what we know is so old hat that we need to find um, the Association of Psychologists' definition of what a child should do or some other thing. I'm sure, I'm sure they mean well. And I'm sure that they've got some very good ideas in that, in that whatever journal they've got. But there are things you tell the child about God and the child takes them with him or with her as they go. And then it says in verse 5, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach to their children, that that generation might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their own children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. Let there be an intergenerational training of what God desires in a family. There's stuff going on in our world, we know that. But there has always been stuff going on in every other world before now. When Jesus and I, there were people who were killing themselves. There were people cheating themselves, doing all kinds of things, and he was alive. He was here. He did his part. And in John 17, he handed over the baton to us. So now it's in our hands. We have children. And their children will have children. But we start, or restart, we move back to God's ideals by teaching them the things that God has already put in place. So the things of all, the hidden things, the forgotten things. Don't be, if they call you, say, you're an old heart mother as a father who lives in 1956, or you're teaching them some old biblical standard that does not hold water, Tell them it holds water because it's God's word. We all have a responsibility, I was saying yesterday, not just to our children, but to the millions of children and people that they will meet outside. Let us build things like arrows in the, arrows in the hands of the Lord, our children, you know, that are arrows. Send them out with a message. Send them out with a way to be. Send them out with an attitude of God. You are God's, and you are children of the Most High God, the Bible says. Let them know that they are God's, that they are children of God. They will walk the earth proudly, not just in, in earthly pride, but proud of their heritage in God. They will make changes that we think are impossible to make. They will bring their world back to God. But only if they are well equipped, if we do our part properly. So when the Bible says, children, obey your parents, that's fine. They will obey what they see. But if we don't have what they need to obey in the first place, then it all goes wrong. That's my message for us this morning, still afternoon now. And it's time for general prayer. Let us teach our children. But to teach them, let us learn ourselves. And write those things in our heart and live them. And let's see the world turn back to God in ways we thought were not possible. Thank you and God bless you. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise. We honor you this afternoon and we say thank you for your word, for ministering your word to us and for giving us that grace, that power, that authority to go and become better parents. 
so that we will bring new generations of godly citizens, kingdom citizens, who will go out and make the world a better place, be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, representing the king of heaven, without fear or favor, changing the world and bringing it back to God. But we were made in the image of God and the likeness of God to look like him and to behave like him. And once again, the kingdom citizens will rise and be the people that the world will see. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.